Hey guys, and welcome to the God Besotted Podcast. I'm your host, Karina, and I am so glad that you're here. Each week on this show, we dig into God's Word to delight in God more. I think it's going to be a good time, so let's just get right into it. Well, it's only the second episode of this series, but I do feel like you and I are our friends. So I want to welcome you into my living room. Not that you asked or anyone asked, but here is sort of a glimpse of a common occurrence in our household. Often, I will walk into the living room and I will find Jordan, my husband, in the middle of watching TV. Usually it's some kind of murder documentary. And sometimes, even though I've missed the opening scenes, I've missed the setup, I'll decide to sit down and just start watching with him. And inevitably, he pauses the show and he wants to explain what I've missed so far. (laughs) And inevitably, I'll say something like, it's fine, it's fine, don't worry about me, I'll figure it out. But really, what that means is I'm about to ask a lot of questions. I'm going to be like, wait, (laughs) wait a second, pause, who died? Uh, or wait a second, so-and-so did did what? And what was their motive? And what was their childhood like? And questions like that. And inevitably, this results in confusion and irritation uh, for both of us, really. And well, it's best not to approach the Psalms the way I often approach TV. And that is, it's best not to open the Psalms and start reading anywhere in the book without at least some understanding of the book's purpose. It's good to be familiar with the Book of Psalms opening scene so that we can really appreciate the individual Psalms within it. Or we might find ourselves kind of confused and irritated as we read, and we don't want that. So Psalms 1 and 2 are the opening scene of the Book of Psalms. Psalm 1 starts with a blessing for the righteous individual, and Psalm 2 ends with a blessing for the righteous community. And together, these two psalms, bookended by these blessings, form a preface to the entire Psalter. They set the stage for the other 148 psalms. If we want to understand those, we have to start here with Psalm 1 and 2. There's quite a lot to unpack within these two psalms, even though they're just 18 verses. So we're going to look at Psalm 1 in this episode and Psalm 2 in the next episode. Okay, so I am just super excited, ready to go. Let's just get started. So book one of the Psalms, Psalm 1, says this. How blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, nor stand in the path of sinners, nor sit in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. He will be like a tree firmly planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither, and in whatever he does, he prospers. The wicked are not so, but they are like chaff which the wind drives away. Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. Okay, off the bat, we notice something important, and that's that we can see that the psalm is contrasting two ways, the way of the righteous 
and the way of the wicked. Two types of people with two very different destinies. Psalm 1 is a crossroads, a moment where we see two paths in front of us and we're invited to choose. Which way will we go? Which life do we want? Which person will we be? Now remember that the Psalms were divided intentionally and organized intentionally. And the five books in the book of Psalms, which this is book one, Psalm one, mirror the Torah, the five books of Moses, the first five books of the Bible. So the placement of Psalm one and two is likewise intentional. They are preparing us for the prayers to come in the rest of the book. So it's important that the Psalm opens with the pronouncement of a blessing. How blessed is the man who? The ancient Israelite reader would have immediately thought of the covenant that God had made with Israel. God entered a solemn agreement with Abraham and his descendants, a bond in blood, promising that he would be their God and they would be his people. And as his people, they were called to obey certain stipulations of the covenant. They had certain obligations to uphold on their end of the covenant. And God promised that if they did, if they obeyed, they would experience blessings galore. But if they didn't, then curses would be heaped upon them. The book of Deuteronomy, the last book of the Torah, the five books of Moses, is sort of a rehashing, a reiteration of the covenant that God made with Israel in the books prior. Moses is at the end of his life and he's calling people to renew their commitment to God, to keep the covenant that he had made with them. And in Deuteronomy eleven twenty six, Moses puts this opportunity before them. He says, see, I am setting before you today a blessing and a curse. The blessing, if you listen to the commandments of the Lord your God, which I am commanding you today, and the curse, if you do not listen to the commandments of the Lord your God, but turn aside from the way which I am commanding you today by following other gods which you have not known. So he sets before them blessings and curses. And then again, in his final words of counsel and his farewell to the people, Moses urges the people to choose. Choose between these blessings and these curses. Choose between life and death. So in Deuteronomy 30, verses 15 through 19, he says, See, I have set before you today life and prosperity and death and adversity. In that, I command you today to love the Lord your God, to walk in his ways, and to keep his commandments and his statutes and his judgments, that you may live and multiply, and that the Lord may bless you in the land where you are entering to possess it. He says, see, on this hand, on this side, on this path, you've got blessing, you've got life, you've got prosperity. But then verse 17, Moses continues, but if your heart turns away and you will not obey, but are drawn away and worship other gods and serve them, I declare to you today that you shall surely perish. Notice that word. That's the word that ends Psalm 1. It says that the way of the wicked will perish. You will not prolong your days in the land where you are crossing the Jordan to enter and possess it. I call heaven and earth to witness against you today that I have set before you life and death, the blessing and the curse. So choose life 
in order that you may live. You and your descendants, by loving the Lord your God, by obeying his voice, and by holding fast to him, for this is your life. So when Psalm 1 opens, how blessed is the man who, and shows us two people, two ways, with two different kinds of life, one filled with blessings and one with curses, it's very intentional. It's a signal to the people who would have been reading this first, and now to us, that reminds us exactly what's at stake. A relationship with God through his word is of paramount importance. We who are in covenant with God as his people are called to act like it by obeying his instruction, his Torah, his teaching. So it's just as Moses told the people of Israel in Deuteronomy 32:47, this word isn't an idle word for you. It's your very life. So before we pray the rest of the 148 Psalms, Psalm 1 says to us, we need to consider which path we are currently on, which person we are, which life we're living, and which one we want to live. Then, and only then, will we be prepared for what's to come, for the prayers to come. So off the bat, when you read Psalm 1, and I hope you will read it one or two or three times, you do get a sense of the genre of the psalm. It's a wisdom psalm. Or more aptly, one commentary called it a wisdom song, and I really like that. Like the book of Proverbs and Job and Ecclesiastes, a few psalms give us a contrast between the wicked and the righteous, showing us how we should live. And clearly, Psalm 1 is one of those, a wisdom song. And one of the things that I would love to be able to do through this series is equip you Uh, with a few tools to read and pray the Psalms on your own based on the things that I've been learning uh, preparing for this. So we're going to work with an outline for Psalm 1 that I settled on as I read the Psalm over and over and studied the passage. But if you sat down and you looked at the Psalm, you might decide on a different on a different outline. Um, For example, some people uh, divide the Psalm into three sections instead of the two sections that I'm going with. There's not a hard and fast rule for sectioning and outlining the Psalms as we're studying them. What really matters is that you read the Psalm repeatedly, that you consider it thoughtfully, and you observe the things in it, that you let it speak for itself. And then you pull out the major thoughts and the movements that stick out to you. So that's just um, a little bit of a tip for you as you read the Psalms and study the Psalms is to try to read the Psalms repeatedly and to section them as um, a way of internalizing the truths in the Psalm before you pray the Psalm. So with that said, there are two sections that I saw in this Psalm. um, There's verses one through three, which is the blessings of the righteous and verses four through six, the curses of the wicked. We'll start, of course, with verses one through three, the blessings of the righteous. So we've already noted that the psalm opens with this declaration. How blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, nor stand in the path of sinners, nor sit in the seat of scoffers. 
You may already know that the word blessed can be translated as fortunate or happy. So Psalm 1 starts out with how blessed is the man. We could render it how happy is the man or oh the blessedness of the man. Today I think we might say about somebody, wow what a lucky guy. And what we mean is that that person received some kind of blessing, that that person is enjoying a fulfilling and a rewarding life. And that's really the sense here. Like, oh, how rewarding is the life of this man? How enviable is his life? And thankfully, the psalm doesn't leave us to wonder what makes this person, this man, so blessed. The psalmist tells us in very vivid terms, First, he says, the righteous man does not walk in the counsel of the wicked. He doesn't stand in the path of sinners, and he does not sit in the seat of scoffers. So first, we learn what a righteous and blessed person doesn't do. And notice the progression. He doesn't walk, stand, or sit. There's a progression or the level of association that the righteous person doesn't have with wicked people grows and grows and devolves. It goes from walking with wicked people to sitting with scoffers. And there's also a progression of who he doesn't hang out with. And the list really goes from bad to worse. He doesn't hang out with the wicked, which can be translated the ungodly. He doesn't hang out with sinners, and he definitely doesn't hang out with scoffers. In short, the righteous person doesn't give sin an inch because he knows that sin will take a mile. And we'll see that as we look at each of these phrases. What does it mean to take the counsel of the wicked or take the counsel of the ungodly? Well, it's to take advice from them. And at first blush, it seems so obvious. Why why would a person who wants to follow God and be close to God and obey God and keep his covenant take advice from the ungodly or the godless? Yet I know I've been guilty of this. I'll think to myself, well, so-and-so told me this, so maybe I need to consider that. But the person who gave me advice doesn't walk with the Lord. So Matthew Henry puts it this way, the righteous man doesn't do as the ungodly say. After all, why would he? But the righteous person also doesn't do as sinners do. We move from the ungodly to sinners, from people who don't even think about God, who are godless, to people who are in open rebellion against him. And Psalm 1 tells us how blessed is the man who doesn't stand in the path of sinners, of people who are blatantly disobeying God. The word for path is the same word used for way twice in verse 6. What does it mean to stand in the way of sinners, in the path of sinners? It means being where they are, doing what they do. The righteous person does not take advice from the ungodly, from people who don't even know God. And he certainly does not do as the sinners, those who blatantly disobey God, do. And lastly, the psalm tells us that the righteous person does not sit in the seat of scoffers. Sin is a downward spiral, and it's true what the youth pastors will tell you. Sin will take you places that you never wanted to go, never thought that you would go. And we see in just this one verse how people go from being godless, ungodly, not considering God or acknowledging him, to openly rebelling against him, blatantly sinning, and finally to scorning, making fun, making light of sacred things, mocking God and the things of God. 
And the psalm is saying, you do not want to end up sitting in a room full of people laughing at something that God calls disgraceful, making light of something that God calls holy, or talking about God in ways that don't give him the credit he's due. And so the psalm tells us, watch where you walk, scrutinize where you stand, so you don't end up sitting with people who scorn everything you're supposed to stand for. So that's verse one. Verse two shifts from what the righteous person doesn't do to what he does do. And it says, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And in his law, he meditates day and night. If we want to know what's behind the discipline of verse one, of avoiding certain company and avoiding taking advice from the ungodly, well, it's the delighting and the diligence of verse two. I don't know about you, but I want to have the discipline, the self-restraint to seek advice from godly people, to be in the company of people who love the Lord and are obedient to him, to be part of that crowd. Where do I get it? Where do I get that discipline? Verse 2 says, from delighting in God's word and diligently meditating upon it. The wisdom of this psalm is quite simple, and it points us to something that we know to be true. In verse 2, what we love, we think about. I heard a quote years ago, and it stuck with me. It said something like, if you want to know where your treasure is, pay attention to where your mind goes when it wanders. Where does your mind go? For me, I wake up and I typically have a few thoughts that kind of stay with me and recur throughout the day. And one of those is, what's my agenda today? What part of my day matters? Another one is, what am I going to eat for breakfast? (laughs) And the third one is, what's my husband doing today? Those are typically my thoughts. And the thoughts in themselves aren't bad, but they tell you what I value. They tell you that I as a person, search for significance in everything I do. I think about everything. Does this matter? Do I matter? And that searching, that meaning making in itself isn't always bad. But it can be when I want a mission more than God, when I want purpose more than Him. And the same goes for food and a spouse. It's not bad to be hungry. And your girl do be hungry in the morning. (laughs) And it's not bad to love my husband and to think about him during the day. But it's telling if my menu and my spouse are on my mind during the day as things I delight in in themselves. The question is, am I thinking about food because I delight in eating or because it fuels me to delight in God? There is a difference. So verse 2 tells us that the righteous person delights in God's word, in the law of God, the Torah. He gets fired up about God's word, so fired up that it consumes his thoughts. He meditates on God's word day and night. And the word meditate in the Bible, this Hebrew word, means to murmur, to mutter. In the ancient world, reading was done out loud. Most people didn't have a scroll, a copy of scripture. Um, So they huddled around someone who did and they read the word out loud. And to meditate meant to read out loud and to ponder what was said. So it has the sense of speaking the word to yourself. But the word meditate can even be translated to groan or to growl. 
Eugene Peterson points out that Isaiah uses this word meditate in Isaiah 31.4 for the sound that a lion makes over its prey. A lion over its lunch and a person sitting before the word of God are to act similarly. There's this growl of anticipation, this hunger, this readiness and eagerness to make the word a part of us, to allow the word to strengthen us and satisfy us. And this meditation, he meditates, is in the imperfect tense. That means it's an ongoing action. He keeps on meditating, continually meditates on God's word, day and night, morning and evening, taking the word in and breathing it out till it seeps into our bones. So rather than be directed by the influence of ungodly company, the righteous person is directed by and delights in the word of God. I, I love that, the language there. That's from Warren Wearsby. And then verse 3 introduces an image, which is also a promise. It says, He will be like a tree, firmly planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither, and in whatever he does, he prospers. And what a beautiful image. The language here is important. The tree has been firmly planted. Some commentators note that it has the idea of being transplanted. In other words, the tree hasn't always been here. It's been transplanted. It's been brought into a new position. This tree has been intentionally planted by irrigation canals so that it has all the nourishment it needs from being deeply rooted by streams of water. And it does just call to mind for me how God through Christ brings us out of sin and makes us new. He removes us from the kingdom of darkness and transfers us into his marvelous light. He plucks us from the barren wasteland of our sin and plants us by streams of water. And from this image of the tree, we get a beautiful picture of the righteous person. I love the way, again, Warren Wearsby puts it. He said, like a tree, the godly person is alive, beautiful, fruitful, useful, and enduring. I love that. Like a tree, the godly person is alive, beautiful, fruitful, useful, and enduring. What more could we want? Life in God and with God as we are nourished by his word is good. It's more than good. It is the best. It's rich and abundant and everlasting. And it's totally dependent on him. And just one more tidbit on this tree image before we get into the second section of the psalm. I just loved this when I saw it pointed out. So we've got this image of a tree by streams of water bearing fruit in its season. And a couple commentators pointed out a tree doesn't eat its own fruit. I wouldn't have really thought about that. It doesn't eat its own fruit. Other people do. And so we got this this picture of the righteous person who's not just blessed, he's a blessing to others. And wasn't this God's vision for Israel? He called Abraham and entered into covenant with Abraham so that he would be blessed, yes, abundantly blessed, but also so that he would be a blessing to all the families of the earth. 
Israel, likewise, was called to be a light unto the nations. And individuals who are in right relationship with God, righteous people who have been made right with God through Christ, are nourished by God's word, delighting in it day in and day out. And the natural result of this relationship with God is that others get fed too. Others are blessed too. So even though Psalm 1 is pretty focused on the individual righteous person, as we individually prepare to pray the Psalms, it's got a communal aspect. It's written from an understanding of and awareness of that the righteous people in the world aren't islands. They are part of a tribe, a community. And we'll see that in verse 5 and also in Psalm 2. But before we ever get there, we need to look at verse 4. So, Uh, Verse 4 starts section 2, the curses of the wicked, and it's a huge contrast moving us from section 1, the blessings of the righteous. The psalmist says, just got done saying, that the righteous man prospers in whatever he does. But verse 4 says, the wicked are not so, but they are like chaff which the wind drives away. What a contrast. We have the righteous person versus wicked people, and the imagery moves from a luxuriant tree to what one commentary called a wind-blown trash heap. But to get that, we have to understand first, what is chaff? Chaff is one of those words that I I lose the imagery for, oddly enough. Uh, I can read it a hundred times in scripture and still forget what exactly it is. So I'll tell you, at this time, during this, this time, this period of history, when people winnowed grain, they separated the kernels of grain from the husk. And the kernel fell to the floor and it would be collected and kept But the husk and other parts got separated and they just blew away in the wind. And this stuff, this extra unwanted stuff was the chaff. The chaff, as I'm sure you got from that image, was worthless, useless. It was not beneficial to anyone. And it's used often in scripture of the wicked. For example, in Matthew 3, John the Baptist picks up this imagery of chaff when he's talking to some Pharisees and some Sadducees who came to him for baptism. And he tells them, if you really want to flee the wrath that's coming, then you'd better bear fruit that shows that you're really repentant. You cannot depend on your ancestry, on the fact that you were born into the people of God as an Israelite. You cannot depend on that for salvation. And then he says in verse 11 of Matthew 3, As for me, I baptize you with water for repentance. But he who is coming after me, Jesus, is mightier than I, and I am not fit to remove his sandals. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. And then verse 12, His winnowing fork is in his hand. Jesus' winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will thoroughly clear his threshing floor. This is where the kernels of grain fell. And it says, And he will gather his wheat into the barn, but he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. Again, we're presented with two ways, two people, and two very different destinies. So verse 5 continues, Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. 
Therefore, because the wicked are like chaff being blown away, because they have no regard for God's word like the righteous person does, they will not stand in the judgment. We saw in verse 1 that the righteous person makes the choice, the conscious decision not to stand among sinners. But the wicked, we see in verse 5, one day won't have the choice. They won't be able to stand when God separates the wheat from the tares, the righteous from the unrighteous, the kernels of grain from the chaff. And here we see that there are two communities represented. Again, we see that there is no middle ground. In the psalmist's view, in Psalm 1, there is us and there is them. And this dichotomy, these destinies may not be crystal clear here and now. They certainly are not at times clear. But one day, in the final day, it will be clear as day. And we will be able to see how easy it is for you to brush dust off your shoulder is how easy it's going to be for God to do away with the wicked. That theme is going to be even stronger in Psalm 2. So it brings us to verse 6. The final verse of the psalm tells us why it's so easy for God to dole out judgment in that day. Verse 6 says, For the Lord knows. He knows the way of the righteous but the way of the wicked will perish. God watches over. That's another translation for knows. He watches over people. As Hebrews puts it, all things are open and laid bare before him with whom we have to do. But specifically, beautifully, encouragingly, this psalm says that God knows the way of the righteous. He knows those who are his. And his knowing is not just this understanding of facts on an intellectual level. It's a personal and intimate and relational knowing. One study Bible put it that God knows with affection and approval the way of the righteous. I love that. He knows the way of the righteous with affection and approval. I don't know about you, but that sounds at times almost too good to be true. How? How can God love us and approve us? Well, we said in the intro that we were going to read the Psalms in light of Christ, in light of his death and his resurrection. And we know that God loves the righteous with an everlasting love because he made us righteous. Because Jesus took our sin upon himself, Jesus' righteousness is our righteousness. We are in right relationship with God forever because of Jesus. So when God looks at us and sees our way, watches over our way, he sees us and looks at us and watches over us in Christ. So the two ways presented in Psalm 1 are the same two ways presented in Deuteronomy. You can choose this day blessings and curses, life and death. Make your choice between them. And... The two ways in Psalm 1 are the same two ways in the New Testament that are contrasted. For example, John 3.16, everyone knows this one, says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. Believe and be made right with God and enjoy eternal life with him forever. Or 
don't obey, don't believe, and allow the wrath of God to remain on you and result in you perishing. That's the choice. And then in John 14, 6, Jesus tells his disciples as he prepares to be crucified and to uh, be resurrected and ascend to heaven, he tells them, I'm leaving and you know the way I'm going. And Thomas asks him, Lord, we don't know where you're going. How do we know the way? And in John 14, 6, Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. And so Psalm 1, read on this side of the cross, tells us, don't stand in the way of sinners. Jesus is the way. Delight yourself in the truth of God's law, knowing that Jesus is the truth. And you will be like a tree, enjoying relationship with God and abundant life, because Jesus is the life. I hope that if you're listening to this, you've made the decision to trust in Jesus already. If you have, you are the righteous person that Psalm 1 is describing. In Christ, you are that person. Now you're just called to live like it. And the Psalm tells us how. Negatively, by not allowing the world to influence you, to make you like them, ignoring and rebelling against and mocking God. And on the positive side, by delighting in God's word and feasting on it day and night, being encouraged that the Lord knows those who are his. He watches over us as we walk in his way. And if you've not trusted in Jesus, Psalm 1 calls you to decide. It sets before you a blessing and a curse. And it urges you, choose life. Choose life and you will not perish. You will live in Christ, righteous forever. Well, that was quite a journey through Psalm 1, and it's not quite over yet. We still have to pray, but I hope that it gets you excited for uh, the rest of the book of Psalms. Psalm 1 and Psalm 2, which we'll look at in the next episode, are preparing us to pray uh, the rest of the Psalms, getting us ready for all that's to come. So now we are going to pray, and I want to remind us of Eugene Peterson's words one more time, that we haven't learned the Psalms. We haven't learned the Psalms until we've prayed them. So, would you pray with me? Lord, thank you. Thank you for your word. Your word sets before us this day a choice. A choice between the way of the righteous and the way of the wicked. Between blessings and curses. Between uselessness and fruitfulness between eternal good and eternal destruction, between being with you forever and perishing, yes, a choice even between life and death. As we read the description of the blessed person, the words jump out at us, how blessed. Oh, the happiness of the person who walks in your way. And we know that we've been blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. We know that we are supremely blessed with the greatest gift imaginable. You, a relationship with you through your son. How blessed we are as your people. But we know that there are times when we do not walk in a manner that is pleasing to you, when we don't walk in your way. 
Lord, we are painfully aware at times of our failure to avoid those whose company dulls our love for you and inflames our desire for the things of this world. We take advice from people who don't know you when we ought to search your word for wisdom. We stand around sin and those who sin openly instead of taking another path. We may have even sat and been comfortable around those who mock you, those who make light of what is sacred and laugh at what is holy and good. We may have even done these things ourselves. So forgive us, Lord. Wash us and we will be whiter than snow. By your Spirit, Lord, would you redirect our path when our feet turn on the wrong street? Would you reroute our hearts when we stray from your way? And would you reignite in us a holy grief, holy grief for those who are perishing? Make us truly salt and light toward those who are close to salvation. And by your grace, Lord, use us to preach the good news to them that Jesus, he is the way and the truth and the life. Father, may we meditate on your word and be like trees firmly planted by streams of water. In Christ, you have truly brought us into a new position. You have transplanted us from the barrenness of our own sin to flourish in you. You. Yes, you are a river of delights and a fountain of life. Would you give us nourishment by your word? which will sustain us in dry seasons and make us strong enough to weather the fierce storms of life. May we bear fruit by your Spirit that will bless those around us, nourish those around us. And Lord, we ask humbly that in whatever we do, may we prosper. By your grace, may we stand strong as those who are alive, beautiful, fruitful, useful, and enduring. Father, thank you that you know us. You know us intimately, personally, relationally, now and forever. You know the way we take and you look upon us with delight and approval because we are in Christ. You watch over our steps so that even if we fall, we will not be hurled headlong. You walk with us in the way that leads to life. May we find at the end of the road you. May we rest forever, for ages upon ages, in your presence, God, where there is fullness of joy and life abundant and rivers of delights. And Lord, in in the way, in the path, be with us in between. Guard our steps, direct our path by your Spirit and in your Son's holy name. Amen. As always, thank you so much for listening to this episode of the God Besotted Podcast. I am just humbled and grateful for every opportunity I get to share God's word with you so that we can all know God more deeply and love him and his people more. If you are loving this podcast, I would love it if you would share it with someone, if you would post it to social media or do all the things. Um, And join me each Monday as we continue in this series on praying the Psalms. Also, you can come find me on Instagram at God Besotted. I would love to connect with you there. So until next time, may we be God Besotted in all we do.